0: What's going on out there, Brian here, and this is episode number 43 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Uh, Let's see, I know it's been a little bit of time since last we left, Um, I've been in sort of recovery and back to work mode ever since I got back from Chicago, Um, some things have been going down with my main job, and now I've gotten through those, everything's cool, i um, still working steadily every Saturday night at the arcade, as anyone out there who sees my Instagram account uh, might be uh, privy to. Um, I'm trying to rearrange my schedule so that I have one day off where I don't have to do much of anything, except maybe grocery shopping every two weeks, and that's pretty much where everything is right now. You know, I've been playing a lot of games on Steam lately, particularly Nova Drift and Streets of Rage 4. I'm still in the throes of a minor addiction to that game, let's say. Um, And, you know, I'm just having fun with it, which is good. Um, For some reason, my copy of Battletech is not working correctly. It's probably the mods I put on it. I'm probably going to have to delete everything. And then start from scratch, probably with a new story mode, which is fine. But at the same time, it's like I'm really loath to let go of all the progress I've made with that game since I bought it, like, what, three years ago? So, yeah, you know, that's where I'm at right now. Um, What else is going on? Um, That's kind of it. I'm planning... This is what I'm going to be doing with the show. I'm going to probably accelerate the rate of how quickly I put these things out Um, the general formula is to put them out once a month uh, record an episode, sit on it for a week post it and then not record for another three weeks after that so with all the information I've got coming up on the Chicago trip that I took and yeah um, as a matter of fact um, I'm going to give you guys a heads up now if I can get my pages up. Okay, this is the situation. Um, I'm going to continue recording normally uh, regular episodes I had planned out all the way up to episode 46. And then I'll start with my Chicago trip. It's going to basically be a five episode arc, if you will. Um, and I'm going to, you know, put in stories. It's going to be tons of arcade reviews and you know, arcade uh, rundowns and so forth and so on. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm still working on that right now. I put this smack dab in the middle of my schedule. So right now, as it stands, uh, at the moment, I have episodes planned out to 61. And once I get probably about episode 57 or 58, I'm probably going to start planning out more episodes because, like I said, I'm probably going to put this Podcast up to 100 episodes, and then I'll just see where I'm at and see if uh, continuing this thing is viable. Um, but aside from that, that's pretty much going on. Um, so, yeah, the stuff for my Chicago trip is coming, guys. Just hang in there. Okay, I uh, checked emails and voicemails and uh, DMs on uh, Instagram and. Uh, Twitter, and still nothing out there, so once again, um, you have any questions, thoughts, about anything you've listened to over the last 42 episodes, um, just get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian@gmail.com. at gmail.com Also, there is a phone number for voicemails, if you'd rather, uh, make, you know, make your contribution that way, that number is 734-743-2433. And like I said, I have my social media presence, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. I'm on Facebook, just search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. Oh, by the way, I've noticed that um, the podcast has gotten a lot more interest from people uh, over the last, I want to say, two weeks or so. I mean, I'm talking like, I'll go onto Facebook and it'll say, Confessions of an Arcade Addict has has had 65 new views. 100 new views. And I'm like, What? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean to those out there who are checking out the podcast you know i want to thank you and i hope you find something of interest to keep your attention uh to you know to uh at the very least continue to listen to uh my ramblings if you will um also on twitter my handle is arcade addict underscore b On Instagram, it's ArcadeAddictBrian, and Tumblr is tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. So, like I said, multiple ways of getting hold of the show. So, if you want to get a hold of me, you got questions, thoughts, comments, like I said, if you got a criticism, you can be nice about it, you you know, just because you don't feel that something doesn't sit right with you or something's incorrect, that you have to be an ass about it. So, if you got anything like that, hey, bring it to me, and we'll see what we can do about it. Okay, let's get right on with the show. Once again, the hour is late, and we've got stuff to do, so let's get right to it. Story time. Our bodies are given life in the midst of nothingness. Existing where there is nothing is the meaning of the phrase, form is emptiness. That all things are provided for by nothingness is the meaning of the phrase "emptiness is form." One should not think that these are two separate things. Story time: the perspective of a poor video gamer. Okay, this is something that I came up with. Oh, I want to say about three months ago, and once I started writing. Once I started writing it out and getting my thoughts down, I realized I had a a little bit of a soliloquy on my hands, so bear with me, please. Um, Okay, I've said it since day one of this podcast. I grew up poor. Um, I didn't really realize it until I started regularly going out in the world on my own at the age of 10. That was more or less when I started going to the mall by myself, but yeah, I was. (laughs) I make no bones about it at all. Um, I spent a lot of days in my childhood and teen years in my local mall, hanging out at the arcade, trying to learn how to play games without spending money, because until I started getting an allowance from my mother, I didn't have any. As a child, I had terrible impulse control. Horrible. I mean, even for a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old kid, it was bad. If I saw something that I wanted and I had the means to get it, I was going to get it, and that was just the end of it, and got me in trouble with my mother, got me in trouble with my grandparents, my uncles, my aunts, at various stages of my life until I got older, and I started to learn how to control that, those impulses that I had. Um, now everybody seems to think that I'm some sort of, like, you know, ice heart or something because I have my poker face up all the time, but... We'll just leave that alone for now. I'll revisit that another time. Um, As an example, um, my mother and my grandparents uh, took me to the bank one day and got me a bank account when I was maybe 11 or 12. Um, Every so often, they would give me money uh, to deposit into the bank account. Now, just to let everybody know, because I'm an old man, or an older man, I should say, um, note that this was a couple of years before ATMs started popping up all over the place. Um, first, they would uh, start popping up in banks, and then later on into the, um, I'd probably say late 90s, early 2000s, they started popping up in stores. You know, they didn't start doing that until, you know, for a while. But I think the first ATMs in my hometown started in, I want to say... Oh, I want to say like 80, yeah, about 82, I think. Somewhere around there. So what I mean by all that is, is that when you had to deposit or withdraw money from your bank, you actually had to walk into the bank during business hours, fill out a deposit or withdrawal slip, go to the teller and conduct your business. Um, There were times where I, I would be withdrawing money two or three times per day because, like I said, bad impulse control. I saw something I had to have it was most likely a toy or a comic book and I would go back into the bank after just being there maybe an hour or two ago with the, withdrawing the money I just deposited I would do that a lot <laughs> it was a constant source of frustration for my mom and my immediate family let's just put it that way um when I started getting an allowance now I had to plan things out down to the down to the nearest cent some days um my mother started giving me $5 um, like every week maybe every two weeks I can't remember My me- my memory's a little fuzzy about it but it started at $5 and if I wanted to go to the mall to play video games I had to plan it out I had to set aside money for bus fare to get to the mall and get to get home and then try to make what I like to call the in-between money last as long as possible If a new came into the arcade that I like, for argument's sake, let's say like Phoenix in 1980, I would alternate between taking my position at the side of the machine while somebody played it and trying to learn the game that way, and dumping almost all the money I could spare into it. This is when the addiction I would have for most of my childhood and teenage years would take hold of me. It started that early. I was about probably 10, 11 years old when it really started. Um, sometimes I would go through that. Um, let's see when I started taking the bus to and from the mall bus fare was 35 cents. Uh, so I had to take 70 cents out of uh, the five dollars I would get. I would even go to like um, the corner store and like buy a you know buy like a um, a jolly rancher candy stick for like 10 cents. And then I would get $4.90 and change. So basically I had to take $0.70 cents out of that and that was my bus fare to and from the mall. And from that, then on, that other $4 I would have, uh, $4 plus, that would go towards you know, of course the majority of it if not all of it went right down the coin slots. I'm not going to make any bones about it. And then sometimes I would have the bug so bad about a particular game, I'd spend my bus fare in the arcade um most of the time that meant i had to walk home from the mall at the end of the night when i first started going to the mall by myself i immediately i started calling my mom at you know on saturday night you know it's like what nine o'clock when the when the uh mall closed and then my mother would have to call my uncle my uncle would have to you know stop what he's doing and drive up to the uh mall and go get me and after I think, yeah, after the first time I had him, he did that for me and he expressed in no uncertain terms how pissed he was at me. I never asked for that kind of help again because I'd rather just walk the two miles home and that's a long distance for a 10 year old kid. Um, I'd rather walk it and get home about 10 o'clock at night rather than have to deal with my uncle's temper. You know, which he inherited from my grandfather. You know, it was like, well, my uncle, my uncle is a good man. He still is. Um, and, but just like with my grandfather, who was also a good man, you didn't cross him, at least not more than once. <laughs> and that's how it was. So, um, so yeah, I would most of the time walk home from the mall at the end of the night, but I le- also learned how to, um, make stops along the way like if i'm leaving the mall at nine o'clock and i'm walking down main street i would first my first uh place i would encounter would be uh the brookside shopping center and i've already talked about that that's where bolarama is that's where um liggett's drugstore was that's where mccrory's department store was um and also an italian uh, italian deli also uh, they also there was a Western Auto hardware store there for the longest time, but that got that closed down in the I want to say early '80s, um, and you know various other stores would come and go from that spot, including Crazy Yeti in the uh, late '80s. Um, but anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so yeah, most of the time I'd have to walk home, but sometimes on Saturday night. I would be able to catch the last bus coming out of there. There's a bus driver named John, who kind of took pity on me, and he would take whatever change I had in my pockets, and he would he would drive me to my neighborhood. Um, on the way down, you know, we would have we would talk about certain things. He'd ask me about stuff. I'd talk to him. I mean, he was a really really nice man. He really was. I mean, you know, every time. I saw him, you know, every time I got on the bus, I always smiled because and I would sit in the first seat right across from uh, his driving position and we would just talk. It was just like that. And, you know, we would do that until my stop came up. And then I would thank him for his generosity, because more often than not, especially when I was like 10, 11, 12 years old, when I started getting up around 13, that's when I would just walk home from the mall, you know, all the time. You know, by that time, I was used to it. (laughs) Yeah, there's a story. um, I have a a tendency to wander, especially when I was a kid. And, yeah, um, that's a story that's coming. So hang in there. (laughs) That's going to be a little bit further down the road. So, you know, he would, you know, drive me to the closest stop to my neighborhood. I would thank him for him thank him for letting me ride on the bus because he—he he, it was his last run of the night, so he was going back to the depot, so it didn't even matter. So he would just drop me off, and I'd thank him, and I would get off the bus and go home. Um, as it turns out, I did not know that he and my grandfather knew each other until he showed up at my grandfather's funeral in 1993. And I remember he saw me there and he's like, Brian, what are you doing here? And he's like it, it, did you and he's like, What are you doing here? Did you know the deceased? I'm like, Yeah, he was my grandfather and I just remember the absolute look of pain that crossed his face because apparently he and my grandfather knew each other fairly well. And yeah, you know, that's just a look that I never forgot, even though that happened almost thirty years ago now. You know, that was just something that I never, ever, ever forgot. So yeah, that was just how it was. Um, Now, the problem with being a poor gamer was, and I know I've said this throughout previous episodes, but it bears repeating here, um, was that it took me a long time to really learn how to truly enjoy playing arcade games. I was, even though I wasn't the most athletic and coordinated person when i was younger that didn't start manifesting until i got into like my mid to late teens i want to say i was pretty awkward you know from the ages of like 11 12 13 maybe even 14 then it kind of changed um but i was always competitive you know if i played a game no matter if it was checkers chess Sorry, um, Monopoly, the Game of Life, you know, pretty much any card game or board game that you can think of that I knew how to play, I wanted to win. That's just how it was. And, of course, that translated to video games. And the way it translated was, is that, like I said when I was talking about uh, my exploits in trumbull mall throughout the various episodes of this podcast um i w- there were a lot of kids that came that regular kids that came in and out of there regularly most of them were from middle to upper class families so they came they had no problems coming in you know and just dropping like ten dollars on a game and putting all the quarters on the bezel so they try to hog it you know, I've seen them do it with asteroids, Missile Command, Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, Defender, uh, tons of games. I've seen them do it all the time. It got to got to the point where, if a new game came to the arcade, I knew that if I came went up to the mall on a Saturday, um, that these kids would be there, and I just would not even play that game for like a month. You know, it would be like a month after the game came to the arcade before I would actually start playing it because you know these kids just had no problems doing it. And it wasn't just the kids. It was also a bunch of uh, older guys who were regulars at the arcade and also at like a uh, Bolorama game room and a couple other places. And they would do the same thing. I mean, when Missile Command came out in 1980... um when that game came out, yeah, it was like, I remember there was a Saturday, I went up there, um, I think I saw, like, on a Friday, because I think it was over the summertime, I saw on a Friday that they had it, but there was too many people around the game, so I said, alright, I'll come up on Saturday, I'll just go up there right around opening, and I'll go play it, and see what it's about. And, um, I show up right at... I think like an hour after opening and these kids are four of them are just around the machine and there's just there's just tons of quarters all around it and I'm just like all right I see what's going on here so I hung out at the mall for a couple hours walked down walked out of the mall walked down Main Street went to Bolarama. they had a missile command machine but the older guys uh, were there playing missile command with quarters on the bezel that would happen all the time, or at least until probably, I want to say, like the middle the middle 80s, maybe. Then it's, I think it stopped. I think um, Carlo put a stop to it, but we'll see. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. But to continue. Um, but my point is, is that because I was so competitive, I wanted to get good at these games really badly because, you know... Being the geeky kid, you know, it's just one of these things where I was always picked last to play basketball or to play football, um, even though I could actually throw a football pretty decently and I could catch it, you know, but, but, you know, playing basketball, still learning how to shoot and still learning how to move around a basketball court without traveling (laughs) and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, we're talking like 10, 11, 12. Yeah, I'm pretty uncoordinated and all that kind of stuff, but I still had the competitive drive. And But the one thing I was decent at were video games. It's just that all these older kids were so much better than me, and I wanted to be on their level because I, because I was always in this arcade and especially with those kids, and like I've said before, there was a racial aspect to it, and that's all I'll say about it. But, you know, I just wanted to be on the same level with them because I was looking for... I was trying to gain their respect. And that was, like, the one of the few ways that I could gain, gain their respect. So, you know, that's what my focus was, you know, and that's what my motivation was to get better at all these games. Especially when I was hanging out at, with Mark in, like, 82 You know, when I started, you know, hanging out with him, you know, he's so good. I mean, he's three years older than me, so in 82, I'm, what, 13? So that makes him 16, you know? And there's a massive difference (laughs) just physically, on some levels mentally, some levels emotionally, between a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old. There are massive differences, and so... I was always chasing Mark around just in a video gaming sense, you know. So, so my point is, is that all of this skewed my focus. You know, video games are there to be enjoyed and to have fun and provide a little bit of an escape, if you will. Um, some, you know, sometimes, you know, even even if it's only for like, you know, as long as your quarter lasts, whether that's two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour, an hour, or whatever, you know, but yeah, that, my focus was skewed in that way. Uh, video games didn't start having endings until I think 1983 when games like Crystal Castles and Dragon's Lair came out. So that meant that I had to make every quarter I spent last as long as possible. I've talked about this, you know, on and off through the various episodes, but I'm going to break it down here. Um, So, yeah, I had to make every quarter I spent last as long as possible. That meant finding out as much information about the games that I was playing as I could from learning patterns in Pac-Man to the one asteroid trick in asteroids or the wall method in missile command or the pterodactyl trick in joust or things like that. I was constantly looking for any edge I could find. Um, The majority of information I was getting was word of mouth and I quickly learned to take what I was told with a grain of salt because either the information wasn't right or it was told in order to deceive me. (laughs) That's how prickish those kids were you know they would you know and they would just tell me things and they would berate me and all this other stuff to get me to just you know get me off the machine so quick you know quickly so they could play it but after having that happen once or twice i just learned i better use what info i better find out information on my own i mean mark was pretty reliable when it came to information about games you know if i asked him about something in a game that he's playing you know i'd ask him okay how does what what do you do when this happens what why does this happen and things like that and mark would tell me you know um he you know he was pretty gracious that way um but otherwise i was hanging out in the walden books or the book beast store in the mall for hours perusing video game magazine or paperback books. I mean, 1982 was when the, you know, how to master Pac-Man, how to master Donkey Kong, how to beat the, you know, video games, how to beat the home video games, you know, how to beat the top 16 video games. All these books started coming out right around 1982. So, you know, I was constantly just on a information hunt when it came to it. I mean, I've told the story about, um, you know, I wasn't all that great at Dragon's Lair until Electronic Games came out with the walkthrough, and I would have, it was like a two-page walkthrough, and I would have it, and before I would play Dragon's Lair at Spanky's, I would study it and things like that. You know, I've told the story multiple times about the perfect game of Dragon's Lair I had to abandon, you know, and that was because of that walkthrough, but that's what I mean. So, yeah, I mean, I've said before, I mean, I wasn't like these kids who were regulars who could show up every day with 10 or $20 dollars they get from their parents to blow in the arcade. I didn't have that kind of money. I had to be smart about it, which wasn't easy considering the flip side of it was is that I was addicted to the very thing I wanted to get good at. So, at the same time, I'm trying to get good at these games and chase the high. You know, so, yeah... <laughs> yeah, so that made uh, so yeah, I mean, I loved playing video games, but there were very few games that I truly enjoyed playing, You I know, mean, Galaga is one, I still enjoy play Gal- playing Galaga to this day, hell, when I was at the replay bar in Chicago I straightened their machine just, just for the hell of it, so yeah you know, things like that um, but because of that mirror image dual nature thing where you know i'm trying to get good at something but i'm so addicted that you know it's like my singular focus or at least in those in in that time it was my singular focus because of because of that i still struggle with my enjoyment of level of video games at times i mean places like the arcade you know, where I work now, and things like emulation, which I started getting into in the... Oh, what year did I start? It had to be, like, the middle to late 90s when I started getting into emulation. Um, You know, those things helped. You know, they helped a lot, actually. When I can play a game to my heart's content, or more accurately nowadays until my joints start to hurt... You know, that's when I can just relax and play because, hey, if I mess up, I can play again. I mean, I see streamers on Twitch. You know, I mean, especially, um, you know, like a couple of people uh, who play Donkey Kong and stream it. You know, where they have an actual Donkey Kong machine and they're trying to um, master the game, which means reaching the kill screen. And, you know, they're, they're just streaming it. And it's like... You know it's a good thing when you can just play a game and you know enjoy the experience of it but i had to learn how to do that and that i didn't really start doing that until i was like what sometime in my 20s i'd say probably after i met my roommate we started going on arcade runs i think that's when i really started to learn how to enjoy games and not be so hyper competitive at them but as I've said before, you know, sometimes while I'm playing, I find myself thinking like that preteen kid with only a couple dollars in his pocket, trying to stretch them out as long as possible. I mean, I catch myself doing that and it's, it's frustrating because, you know, now it's sort of like, Hey, what am I trying to do? It's not like I'm trying to go for a uh, world record or something. And it's not like I'm constantly in a place where, You know you got all these guys you know talking a bunch of crap to me you know and trying to make me feel bad or trying to get me to mess up so they can play the game so it's really really difficult sometimes (laughs) you know it's a mentality i'm trying to shake myself out of and for the most part i'm successful nowadays because it's now it's sort of like you know i can just go on steam and buy buy a certain game and i can just play it and you know it's, it's mine to have, so I don't have to worry about it past that point. But, yeah, you know, that's <laughs> the perspective of a poor video gamer. <laughs> um, that's just how it was for me when I was younger. And it still kind of affects me to this day. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, any kind of thoughts or questions about it? Hey, get a hold of me. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. Okay, let's get right on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, but I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. We're getting, getting too old for this, lying red-arsed the heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe we are getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will and not. We're not too old for this shit. We're, we're, we're not, not too old for this shit. Yeah. We're not too old for I'm this shit. like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. not too old for this shit. I'm not going to buy a hemorrhoid could We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced, Time Pilot? Yeah, one of my all-time favorites for sure. So, you know, let's just hit Wikipedia real quick. There's not a lot of information, which is kind of shocking. Because this game is so ubiquitous, but eh, it is what it is. Okay, Time Pilot is a multi-directional shooter arcade game designed by Yoshiki Okamoto and released by Konami in 1982. It was distributed in the United States by Century and by Atari Ireland and Europe and the Middle East. While engaging in aerial combat, the player-controlled jet flies across open airspace that scrolls indefinitely in all directions. Each level is themed to a different time period. Home ports for the Atari 2600, MSX, and ColecoVision were released in 1983. A top-down sequel, Time Pilot 84, was released in arcades in 1984. It drops the time travel motif and instead takes place over a futuristic landscape. Uh, Let's see, the gameplay. Uh, Players assume the role of a pilot of a futuristic fighter jet trying to rescue fellow pilots trapped in different time eras. In each level, players battle enemy aircraft and then a stronger aircraft. Player's fighter jet is in the center of the screen at all times. Players eventually battle a mothership of the time period they are in, and once the mothership is defeated, they move on to the next time period. Parachuting pilots will occasionally appear and award player bonus points if collected. There are five levels, 1910, 1940, 1970, 1982-1983, and 2001. After the 5th level is finished, the game repeats thereafter. Extra lives are given at 10,000 points, and per 50,000 points scored up to 960,000 points. Thereafter the game goes into survival of the fittest mode, meaning I think you don't get any more free lives and what lives you have in reserve, those are the only ones you have until the game is over. Uh, fighters are destroyed if they collide into bullets, enemy ships, or missiles. Game ends if the last fighter is destroyed. Let's see. Development, according to his account, Yoshiki Okamoto's proposal for Time Pilot was initially rejected by his boss at Konami, who assigned Okamoto to a working to work on a driving game instead. Okamoto secretly gave instructions to his programmer to work on his idea while pretending to be working on a driving game in front of his boss. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Uh, That's actually really funny. Uh, The reception of it. Uh, In Japan, the annual Game Machine chart listed Time Pilot as the fifth highest grossing arcade video game of 1982. Game Machine later listed Time Pilot on their June 1st, 1983 issue as being the 18th most popular arcade title of the month. In the United States, the game topped the PlayMeter arcade earnings charts for in February 1983. The Amusement and Music Operators Association, AMOA, later listed it as among the 13 highest-earning gro- arcade games of 1983. Computer and Video Games Magazine gave the arcade game a generally favor- favorable review upon release. Hmm, that's interesting. But anyway, okay. That's the information, like I said, it's a, the, the information was a little sketchy, so, you know, I just decided to read what was there. So, uh, my memories of this game, uh, they conflict a little bit. Uh, when I was thinking about it, I thought the first time I saw Time Pilot was either in the Bolarama game room or the Rexall drugstore in the mall, though both locations had the game. Um, either way, this game was an instant classic from the word go, in my opinion. Mark and I would have high-score battles on this game as well, and I think my highest score is over 400,000 points. The arcade in Brighton has this game, and I still play it, though I'm not as good at the game as I once was. But hey, I'm getting old, so it happens. But there's an update. Uh, August 19, 2021. Uh, just before I clocked in to work at the arcade uh, the previous Saturday, I put up a score of over 200,000 points, which is pretty decent, as I had not played a serious game of Time Pilot in close to a year. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, this game, uh, it had, oh, uh, it garnered quite a bit of interest. It really did. Um, I didn't find it in very many places. I think the only places that had it, like I said, were the Bularama Game Room, the Rexall Drugstore, and I think Milford Rack had it, you know, for a little while. Then, uh, I will talk about Time Pilot 84, Although I expect the Wikipedia to be just as scant on information as this one was. But yeah, the Rexall drugstore definitely had it. That's the first time I ever saw it. And actually, when I went to Galloping Ghost uh, a few weeks ago, they actually had a working Time Pilot 84 machine. So I got to play that, which was really cool. Okay, but that's Time Pilot. Um, And like I said, if you have any questions about it, aside from anything that I've... Talked about what little information there was. Get a hold of me, Arcade Addict Brian at gmail.com. Okay, let's move right along to time for some strategy. What happened? i Mr. Ryan. <laughs> Hey, it's about time a little okay, time for some strategy. Um, depending on the difficulty settings of the time pilot machine itself, the learning curve can be learning curve can be really gentle or pretty steep. Uh, The best thing to do is to constantly move around, keeping up a steady stream of fire to blast your enemies. You keep an ear out for the sound indicating that a flight of enemies are coming, and blast them all for 2,000 points. Uh, Rescue the parachuting pilot for a progressive amount of bonus points, starting at 1,000. I think it goes uh, 1,000 all the way up to 5,000, if I'm not mistaken. But usually, I'm not hanging around on a level to get 5,000 points. Um, try not to linger on the levels for too long before shooting the boss down for 3,000 points and warping to the next level. Fortunately, it's fairly easy to keep that stream of fire up because every time you press the fire button, your fighter emits a burst of three shots. So, it's very important to learn the rhythm of the shots so that you're not wearing yourself out button mashing. Okay. Okay. Let's break it down level by level. Um, 1910. Uh, This is the first stage of the game. It's fairly easy because the biplanes are not as fast or agile as your fighter, but they can still zero in on you if you fly in a straight line for too long. Uh, That's my first piece of advice for this game. Do not fly in a straight line for very long, no longer than maybe two or three seconds. Uh, However, you can use this to set up the opposition by flying in one direction for one or two seconds, and wheel around and blast them. Uh, flying in a circular pattern along with alternating flying in straight lines can really keep you out of trouble. Avoid the shots and bombs the biplanes throw at you. Move upwards uh, on the screen to try to stay above them and keep their bombs from arcing down on you. I'm um, th- Trying to remember how many enemies it is. I think it's 40. I think you shoot down 40 enemies. Then the uh, boss... Uh, the mothership comes out, which in this case is uh, a dirigible. Basically a big orange dirigible. Uh, the easiest way to kill the mothership is to fly around it, get in behind it, and just shoot it six times, and that'll be the end of it. That's, that, that goes for each level that's the easiest way to get ar- just to get done with it. Don't try to come at it from an angle because as it flies, it, sh- it randomly throws out shots in random directions except for directly behind it. So that's the vulnerable spot. So you just fly around it, get behind it, shoot it six times and you're done. In this one, you just shoot the dirigible six times and then it's on to 1940. Okay. Uh, 1940, that's the world war two era. Um, you're up against a, a bunch of Japanese zeros with a medium, uh, oh, excuse me, not medium bomber, a light bomber that comes out every so often. Um, although the zeros don't have any special weapons, they can gather behind you in bunches and will also attack you from the sides. Uh, like I said, a light bomber will come out like every, I want to say, ten to fifteen seconds, and it takes three shots to destroy it. But to do so gives you fifteen hundred points each time. Um, so this. Uh, level actually can be, uh, you can point press on this one, although I wouldn't suggest it for very long because uh, once the mothership comes out, the enemy zero fighters start, you know, moving faster and shooting faster, so it's just easier just to kind of just fly your way through the level, uh, shoot the heavy bomber that comes out uh, after you destroy 40 planes, and then you're off to nineteen seventy. Um, the best way to, uh, survive on this level is to fly in a straight line for maybe a couple of seconds and then, you know, cut to the left or to the right 90 degrees, then sort of circle around and then keep moving, you know, basically clear your six of any enemies gathering behind you because like I said, enough of them will come out where they'll start shooting at you from various angles and then it gets really tough to evade. Um, but like I said, um, when a heavy bomber comes out, get on at six and destroy it, and it's off to 1970. Okay, uh, 1970. This where this is where the game starts to become hard. Um, you are attacked by helicopters who not only shoot at you, but also fire uh, infrared homing missiles as well. Uh, they can track you quickly and will get an angle on you if you fly in a straight line for too long. Add to this that the copters themselves move in sweeping, almost random patterns. So you really need to be careful. I mean, not from just getting shot down, but also to be careful of running into any of them. Um, my trick here is to... It, this is where you're going to have to start moving in sweeping uh, sweeping uh, movements. Um, the good thing about the, this game is that... Um, I forget what they call it. I think it's like progressive control, but basically, <clears throat> let's say you're flying straight up and you, you know, move the stick to the right or to the left to go to the, you know, to fly left. It will, instead of going instantly to the left, it will make a turn. It'll make a turn to the left. And you can use that to make these sweeping, circular movements i mean in this stage and the one after is where you really have to start doing it um so yeah i mean as soon as they as soon as you see um the helicopters start using uh, start firing missiles at you try to shoot them as soon as possible uh because the missiles are faster of course than your fighter is and you can't outrun them and the best thing to do is to sort of Let's just say if you're, like, flying straight up and there's a helicopter that's, like, down to, you know, down to your left, um, and it fires a missile at you, you basically sweep your fighter around and turn left to shoot shoot at the missile as it closes in on you. And, I mean, it's to the point where I really try to shoot the, um... Shoot the helicopter that shot the missile and then shoot the missile as quickly as possible. It just keeps you out of trouble that way. Um, You shoot down 40 enemies and a twin prop helicopter comes out. And once again, get behind it, shoot it down, and it's off to 1983. Okay. In 83, this is the stage and the one after it are by far the most dangerous ones in the game. Um, I lose most of my lives in these stages for sure. Um, the fighter jets that you're up against are as fast as you are, maybe even a little faster and just as maneuverable. They shoot bullets at you as well as uh, homing missiles, and they can attack you from almost any direction and have no qualms about ramming you either. <laughs> um, the best way to get through this stage is to cut the straight line flying to a second at a most and make 90 degree turns and randomizing, randomizing to the left and to the right and occasionally going 180 degrees to clear your six but don't fly in a straight line for more than a second or two you know i would say one second at most you know basically even if you have to count it out in your head you know don't do that because the fighter jets just keep coming out from various angles and some of them will shoot missiles at you others will shoot Uh, bullets at you and it gets a little hectic not only that they start sweeping in to get close to cut off your angles for maneuvering without you know because if you try to go that direction most likely you'll run into them and lose your life so um like i said basically fly for one second in a straight line at most and make 90 degree turns to the left and the right and every so often to clear your six turn 180 degrees and shoot all the the planes they're trying to gather behind you because they will start start doing that like i said with the helicopters if they fire a missile at you try and shoot it down as soon as possible uh you eliminate enough enemies then the jet bomber comes out and you basically just get behind it shoot it and it's off to the 21st century um, let's see, in 2001 you're up against flying saucers in outer space with asteroids as the backdrop. It looks cool, but this stage is tough. Um, this is where you have to stick with short line flight and quick turns, although it's best to make 180, 270, and even 360 degree turns to keep the saucers not from not only getting behind you, but also keep them from attacking you from multiple directions. Um, they move almost at random, finding, firing large, dumb projectiles and semi-homing projectiles as well. Uh, but the good news is that both can be destroyed by your shots. Uh, tight turns are, are the order of the day here. Um, it's really, really tough because they will come at you from at least three different directions. And the it's not always uh, clear. It's not always clear... Um, which where to go is the best choice because one of them might shoot a dumb projectile at you and another one might shoot one of those semi-homing ones at you too. So, you know, it's just one of these things where you just have to keep moving around and moving in circles and moving in semicircles and just keep your area of uh responsibility clear. Um and then after you shoot down enough of them, the mothership flying saucer comes out. And once again, get behind it, shoot it six times, and then you go back to 1910, but now it's at a higher difficulty. Um, my final thoughts, uh, Time Pilot is, is a game with simple controls that tests your reflexes and teaches you the sphere of responsibility and split-second decision-making. Eventually, the action gets so intense in later levels that the sphere more or less encompasses the entire screen, but hey, once you get to this point, you're already pretty good, right? Um, every time I've taken my godson up to the arcade, he's he makes a beeline straight for this game. Um it's kind of fun to watch and play it and figure it out. You know. I could give him pointers, but you know, he's he's old enough to where he can figure stuff out for himself. Um, but yeah, my I think that this is one of the all time great video games. I mean, it deserves to be it may not be on the same echelon is like space evaders pac-man donkey kong but if there was a second tier yeah i think time pilot would be on that tier that's just how i feel about it so there you go there's you the breakdown of the actual game and i have given you some tips on how to get good at it so if you've got tips and tricks of your own hey get a hold of me i want to know arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com and finally we're gonna go on the road so get in sit down Buckle in, shut up, hang on. Hey folks, Brian here, and this is another edition of On The Road. Uh, It's Saturday, February 22nd, closing in on 6 p.m. I just left the arcade in Brighton, and after a quick run to the store, which was right down the street, I'm heading home. I kind of surprised myself today. I mean, um, how should I put this? Well, I just. I was originally going to go to this place called um, Player One in uh, Auburn Hills, Michigan after I got out of work this afternoon. But I knew nothing about the place. So I decided to check some Google reviews of it. And what I was reading was not encouraging at all. And considering that Auburn Hills is about. I want to say a 45 minute drive from where I work, much less from home, it's almost like an hour and 20 minutes to get over there, Um, I decided just not to go with it. Um, I was thinking about going down to Ready Player One, but I just did not feel like doing it. I just wasn't feeling it today. So I compromised. I just decided to get on the highway, Interstate 96 westbound, from where I work, and go to the Arcade in Brighton, and it was a pretty good day at the Arcade for me, although I'm a little frustrated by it, but only one aspect of it. Um, to explain, um, when I walked in, I immediately played a game of Time Pilot, and I started out great. I got through 19, you know, 19, what, was it 1918, it was 1918 or something like that, Then 1940, the 1972, and then once I got to 1983, that's when the wheels started coming off. I mean, I had, I had not lost a life up until, um, 1983 when the Jet Fighters come out, and You know, I just, I lost, actually, I lost one life going, you know, actually, I take that back. I lost all my lives, almost all my lives in 1983 except for two. I had five when I got to 2001, and I'm so out of practice with this game, it's not even funny, but I still put up, like, what, 144,000 or something like that, which is not bad, but you know, I'm capable of better, it's just that I just don't play, I don't get to get to the arcade to play, and I need to start playing an emulation again, you know, to kind of get my groove back a little bit, so I was like, uh, I was a touch discouraged, so I walked over to the 2084 machine, Um, for those who don't know, uh, that is a re- a recreation of Robotron 2084 same exact game except there's an lcd screen in it instead of a cathode ray tube like a like there always has been um the art and you know the side art and the panel art and the bezel art the bezel art is completely different it's just 2084 it doesn't even say Robotron on it but so I played that and I just wasn't getting very far I would get to stage 9, stage 12, stage 13, stage 14. But, you know, my scores were like 250,000, 300,000, somewhere close to there. And I just wasn't, I just didn't feel it. And usually when I'm in the zone on Robotron where I can get those scores, where I'm flirting with a million points, um, you know, I'm just sort of sort of zen. I just felt too anxious you know, I at one point I after losing a life, I really just tried to just kind of relax and flow with the game and you know, just be in that state and I just could not I just could not get there. And I played their original Robotron machine and I did no better there. Even though that machine's a little bit little easier to play. I think the twenty eighty four machine's a little beat up now. Because you know, I can tell a major difference between that machine and the original Robotron machine, which is like three machines down from it. Um, it just The controls are just... They're a little too loose in 2084 and they're not quite so loose in, you know, in the Robotron machine. So, I just decided, okay, I don't have it for this game today. So, I'm just going to play Star Wars just for the hell of it. And... I got my all-time high score in Star Wars. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know what else, I don't know what I was thinking or feeling when I was playing it. But I was just, I was just on a roll. I mean, my all-time high score up until that point was like a million five. And I got almost a million eight. And I'm very, very pleased with that. I mean, considering when I used to go to the arcade, Brighton, and I would play Star Wars, and I would not get past like level seven, you know, or level eight. Uh, I got to what level ten? No, not level ten. Level, yeah, it's level uh, eleven, I think. And I did very well. And I put my high score. I put my initials up. Took a picture, put it on Instagram, and moved right along. <laughs> That's what I did, for sure um let's see what else oh i got my all-time high score on that hyper Ms. pac-man and i put that picture up that was what 848,000. you know i blew my old high score out of the water and i did most of it while there was a uh like there was a oh god how old was he he had to be like eight or nine years old and my son Marcus was only slightly smaller than him and he's five. Um, you know, he was playing Pac-Man next to me and he wasn't getting it, and I was trying to give him some pointers. And, you know, he would you know, he just was messing around. He didn't really care. But he was asking me, he was telling me that Ms. Pac-Man, you know, Pac-Man's harder than Ms. Pac-Man. I'm like, nope. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> you know got into a bit of a debate debate with a nine-year-old but yeah so and after that you know I went from game to game you know played a little pinball um just more or less just you know sort of you know decompressed I had had some fun I mean I wasn't doing anything with like any major seriousness you know, except for Robotron, which I could just couldn't believe that I couldn't get past certain levels. When the well, last time I did it, I could get past those levels with ease. But that's what kind of, aside from the arcade run, that's kind of what led me to... That's what led me to um, record this segment. You know, the whole use it or lose it thing. You know, that's uh, that's a, a phrase that started probably in the 60s. Maybe, maybe the 50s, but I'm pretty sure it was the 60s. And, you know, when it comes to video gaming, yeah, you have to constantly be playing. I mean, the only games I've been playing are Battletech and Nova Drift, which is this really really interesting shooter um it's sort of like battle Uh, asteroids meets uh asteroids meets asteroids deluxe meets reactor or i can't remember what that game is from sega where you had this this base that was made of like all solid rock, and you couldn't destroy it. But there was like one thin little, uh, thin little groove that you could shoot in, and you know to destroy the base. And then you would go on, and you know also um, all of the uh, enemies shoot at you, but their shots don't destroy you. They just send you flying in a particular direction. I think the only thing that can kill you is that base by running into it and sometimes they try to push you into the base but yeah it's that then you add a little bullet hell on top of it and yeah it's a very interesting game and i've only scratched the surface with that game i mean it is it's fun but it can be really hard uh nova drift also has uh the you can select power-ups for your ship You know, you have one, you can select a certain type of firepower you like, a certain type of shielding that you like, and a certain type of uh, uh, fighter craft. Because there's one that's the engineer where you can actually build drones and um, allies faster. And you can build more of them. Um, There's one that is, like, really fast. Then there's another one where you can basically ram you know, use it to ram other ships and inflict a lot of damage. Um, yeah, it, I love Nova Nova Drift, it's, it's a great game, I mean, whoever, whatever team programmed this game, they knew the classics and they incorporated, I mean, I mean, there's Star Castle in there, um, you know, Star Castle, I would say even Centipede is in, in there, in, like, this, uh multi-directional shooter I mean the the number of influences this game has taken from it's pretty long and it's also done in an original way I mean there's even like you could even like say there's a little defender in there also or a little Stargate too oh speaking of that <laughs> you know I played Stargate for like the first time uh, in a long time and I only got like 25,000 because I decided to play it straight up rather than um, use the uh, rescuing four humans and flying into the Stargate to warp ahead to level five. I went to do it and I screwed up. So I just said, fine, I'll just play it straight up. And yeah, I'm so far out of practice on that game. It's not even funny. I mean, I used to be able to put up 150,000, 200,000, without too much trouble. It all depended on whether I could get, um, if I could get the, uh, what's the name? The, um, if I could do the, the level warp trick twice to send me to level 10. You know, because that's how you get, you got a huge bonus for each surviving human once you warped to, uh, warped five levels ahead. So, that was... That was interesting. I mean, it's one of those games where yeah, I've got to play that game and play it a lot to even get even relatively close to how I was. And yeah, you know, like I said, you know, I just wasn't quite feeling it, even though I did so well in a couple of games. I was actually thinking about hmm, I could probably make two million on Star Wars. Then of course, you know, yeah, I mess up in the trench run on level uh twelve. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I love Star Wars it's one of my favorite all-time arcade games you know I could say it's probably number one but you know in my heart of hearts we all I know that Galaga's number one Galaga's always been number one since 1981 there have been games that I've played more and more in depth and gotten really really good at like say like Street Fighter 2 and its various iterations, but yeah, I mean, if you put me in a chair and put the spotlight on me and put a gun and held a gun to my head and told me pick your pick your favorite all-time arcade game, it would have to be Galaga. Um, speaking of that, I didn't even bother playing Galaga. I was like, I'd be, I've already straight nine that that machine. I don't need, I don't need to do anything else. Um, I played Asteroids it, for the first time in a long time, speaking of Nova Drift, and it's one of its ma- major influences. I mean, yeah, it, not to mention, yeah, Sinistar is another influence of uh, Nova Drift. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, the way they did certain things and the way they did enemies and things like that, yeah, I mean, you could pull it from, like, a whole lot of different sources... And then on top of that, there's a lot of originality that goes along with it. So yeah, I played Asteroids and I got a respectable 37,000. You know, I haven't played, the last time I played Asteroids with any series was in the arcade in Brighton. And that was, oh goodness. I wanna say like, mm, probably like four months ago. Where I got like I think what fifty-one thousand or something like that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I played. You know, I was very proud of myself. I was playing uh, Frenzy. I didn't do too great there. I think I got like sixty-five hundred. Usually, I'm good for like you know ten to twelve thousand. But yeah, I was. Like I said, I don't know why I had had it with certain games that day or this day, and I didn't even come close to having it with others. It was weird, but it's okay. You know, my whole thing is, is that, yeah, now that I'm starting to have just a little bit of financial wiggle room, just a skosh, just a, just a touch where everything is not like a matter of life and death and having to scrimp and save and make sure that all the bills get paid and you know there's food in the cupboard and so forth and so on where i've got just a little bit of money to to mess around with um you know i think i'm gonna start going to the arcade in brighton at least once a month at the very least once a month maybe even once every two weeks depending on you know the home situation and so forth But, yeah, I mean, I was seeing, you know, kids of like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old in there. You know, there are plenty of the big, huge sit-down games, you know, for them to play like Transformers and House of the Dead and Jurassic Park and the Star Wars Battle Pod. I should have played that before I left. Darn it. Oh, well. Um... But, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of kids in that place. And it immediately makes me think when I see kids, you know, running around and playing games and, you know, having fun with, you know, with, you know, with the game and their friends and that kind of stuff. Makes me wonder, you know, when do I start bringing my son Marcus to the arcade in Brighton? Um, I'm thinking it's probably going to be at least another couple of years. Uh, We have to sort out... Uh, things with his autism first um, and hopefully that gets done within the next six months or so but yeah I mean so I mean I'm looking forward to those times where you know Marcus is doing in school and you know he's not you know acting up all the time as a reward I'll take him to you know, I'll take him to the arcade in Brighton but I'm going to wait until he's probably like seven before I start taking it, maybe even eight, depending on how things go over the next uh, two years or so. But those are my thoughts. That's my arcade run from uh, the Arcade in Brighton. I originally was going to go to either Auburn Hills or Detroit, but, you know, I just, after reading reviews of these places and, you know, the majority of them were negative experiences, yeah, I'm going to hold off. Um, There are other places, but there are some that are way out the sticks. And, you know, I got to make sure that, you know, I've got my ducks in a row before I go out there because, you know, I would have to make a day of it after I get out of work. I mean, fortunately, my, my work shift on Saturday is really, really light. And, you know, I can just... You know, pop over here or pop over there, and just you know, just see what's going on, or you know, play some games and you know, blow off a little steam, that kind of thing. That's what I use my arcade my arcade runs for. You know, blow off steam, have some fun, let the inner twelve-year-old run around and have some fun, and usually I feel a little better when I leave. But anyway, enough of me rambling. Uh, this is Brian saying, have fun out there good gaming. Au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734- 743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.